Thank you. Hi, I'm Sharon. I am an alcoholic. Thank you, Vic. Thank you, Joesta, for inviting me here. And good evening to everyone in the UK and all around the world. Thank you so much um, for being here tonight. Really appreciate it. Um, my name is Sharon and I am an alcoholic. I have a, uh, I want to just take a moment um, to do the set aside prayer and ask God to come in to help me with my words. God, please set aside everything I You, big book, 12 and 12 concepts. And you, dear God, so that I can have an open mind and a new experience. Thank you so much. Joesta asked me to get um, a topic for tonight and then sent me the flyer. Um, so the closest that I came was the doctor's opinion, which of course talks about the phenomena of craving in, in step one. So that's what I'd like, to, I'd like to focus on. If anyone's new or just coming back, welcome. Glad that you're here. My anniversary is April 27th, 1985. I just celebrated 38 years. I am very, very, very grateful. Thank you, I appreciate that. I have a home group, it's the Boston Beacon Group. We meet on Zoom Monday through Friday at noon. I do service in that group. I'm active in that group. I have a sponsor. Um, I've worked all these steps in my, in my life. Um, and I have recovered from a seeming, seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. The, um, if, you have, if you have a big book um, on you or near you, if you um, wanna just go, go along with me, cause I'd like to go through the doctor's opinion. It's XXV in the big book, if you have one. I'm gonna read a little and then kind of weave in and out of my story as it applies. We of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the reader will be interested in the medical estimate of the plan of recovery discovered in this book. Convincing testimony must surely come from medical men who have had experience with the sufferings of our members and have witnessed our return to health. A well-known doctor, chief physician at a nationally prominent hospital specializing in alcoholic and drug addiction gave Alcoholics Anonymous this letter. And this is really, this is really important. I mean, this is, this is the opening of, of the big book, except for the, the prefaces. Um, and this doctor is gonna let us know from a doctor's perspective the, you know, that we have a disease, it's called alcoholism. To whom it may concern, I have specialized in the treatment of alcoholism for many years. In the late 1934, I attended a patient who, though he had not been a, had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity, was an alcoholic of a type. I have come to regard as hopeless, and this is Bill W. that he's treating. In the course of his third treatment, he acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. As part of the rehabilitation, 
he commenced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics, impressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others. This has become the basis of a rapidly growing fellowship of these men and their families. This man and over 100 others appeared to have recovered. And that's really important because when I was, um, when I was drinking, um, for me to drink was, I saw my, my father drink and he would get chaotic and crazy and my mother would drink and she would be kind of light and dancing around. And as a kid, I was really attracted to this type of, of energy. Um, it was different. Everyone, everyone was involved from grandmothers, grandfathers, parents, aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews, cousins. It was just one big um, party. And so uh, when I was about eight or nine years old, I experienced the loss of my brother who died and no one talked about him. But I do know that there was a, there was a party, there was an event, there was like drinking and stuff, but nobody talked about my brother, Joey. And I was confused and I didn't know what all that meant. Um, I also, just to give you a little bit, um, I grew up in uh, Dorchester, Massachusetts, which is in the USA for us, uh, for you folks in UK and other places around the, the world. And I, uh, I went to a parochial school and I, um, I didn't like the uniform, the dress. I wasn't a dressy kind of girl. I liked pants and sneakers and a t-shirt. And there was something about going to parochial school and the religious aspect of growing up in my home where everything was like for seven to eight hours a day at school, this religious kind of thing and God-based thing and centered thing. And then going home, it was this chaotic, crazy, throwing things around, abusive, violent um, environment. And it was just very, very confusing to me. And I remember as a, as, a, as a kid that I was trying to figure out how to fit in, how to navigate this, this whole thing. Because my mother would say that, you know, you kids, you kids can't fight during the week and um, no fighting on Sundays was like a big principal thing, no fighting on Sundays. And um, we, would, we would fight and we would carry on all the time. When I was uh, about um, nine or 10 years old, my grandfather was drinking um, Schlitz beer for, for some of you that are as old as I am. Um, and I remember tasting the beer and, and you know people were playing music and it was entertaining and it was lots of fun. So at that point, I didn't realize that I would probably um, was affected by alcoholism and that as a child, the, that phenomena of craving, that craving to have something put in my body so that I could feel different than what I was feeling seemed very important and um, very exciting to me. However, you know, learning and in, in, in recovery and in, in the doctor's opinion and understanding the medical part of it is that um, alcohol is a poison 
and putting poison into the system is not really good. You know, there's a lot of side effects that happen. A lot of people don't come back from this disease and um, it's devastating. It's just very devastating. So when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous back in 1985, um, I was looking for something. I didn't know what, because I had been to the bars, you know, you have the little martini, um, jazz pianos playing. I think I'm a poet and doing poetry on a piece of paper. And um, the loneliness that, 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 um, that remorse and that loneliness of um, like that moment of like warm alcohol going down and ah, oh, elation type of thing became, it was like I had to up to the ante all the time. Like what else can I do to get better and better in terms of higher and higher and higher? And um, my story consists of, um, of, of marijuana as well. Um, alcohol and, and pot were my, were my thing. And the hangovers, um, you know, were just, were just awful. Um, as, as most of us know about, you know, we pray to the porcelain God in the bathroom and, you know, being on the floor and, um, you know, putting my head against the base of the toilet because it was cold so that I, I would not feel nauseous. Uh, was a saving grace. And yet at the same time, I know that every time I got drunk, I always said, God, please help me out of this. God, please help me out of this. And I really didn't have any idea what I was saying. Um, only, I think I was only saying it because um, going to parochial school and the prayers and um, Sunday service and penance and all that stuff was so ingrained that to ask God for help, but not understanding what that really meant was, was, was the norm for me to do that. The, on, pa on page um, XX11X, it talks about um, after they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomena of craving develops, they pass through the well-known spree stages of spree, emerging remorsefully with the firm resolution not to drink again. I don't know about you, but I was definitely one of those, I'm not going to drink again, it's not going to happen. And I would go maybe two days without a drink. And then I'd be jonesing. I'd just be jonesing or I'd be acting out. Um, I would be rude. I would uh, be disrespectful to people because I wasn't getting what I wanted. See, for me, alcohol was um, the calmer, the, the elixir of, um, of just kind of mellowing everything out that happened in, happened in the home. And it was also a saving grace, I thought, because I felt like I could enjoy myself more. I could party with people. Um, I could be the life of the party. I, you know, the barroom scenes, um, dancing on bars and doing all that stuff. I felt it was normal. I just felt that's 
just the way it is. I mean, I, I um, drank more in the 70s um, growing up. And during that time, it was very, very difficult um, to get liquor. I was underage, but I was always with older, older friends um, who could get liquor for me. So that was helpful. But the, you know, the behavior that I did when I was in a bar, um, at, you know, like if, if, if a guy came up to me and he said, oh, can I buy you a drink? I wasn't interested in the guy int intimately or sexually or anything, but yeah, you can buy me a drink. And I'd play along, I'd play the game um, so that I could get, so that I get my needs met. And um, after a while, the, the jig was up with that because I'd have to start going to different bars and seeing different, different clientele and so on and so forth. And I, and I wasn't feeling like that first time that you get buzzed. There's nothing like the first time you get totally buzzed and intoxicated and realize that um, Ivana is, is happening and, uh, you know, going to be able to do this every single time. Well, that's not the case. Um, it says on XX1X, on the other hand, oh, excuse me, this is repeated over and over. And unless the person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of recovery. So I had to understand not only did I have a disease, but I had a manifestation of an allergy, an indication that means, an indication of, a, of an allergy. And I also experienced a spiritual malady, you know? On the other hand, and as strange as it may seem, those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems, he disappeared of every, ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. The only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. And here's, here's the beginning of the directions, you know, the, the um, saying to the doctor, I, you know, I must stop, I cannot stop, and I must ask for help. Now, how many times have I done that in my life? A lot. You know, I must stop, I, I, but I don't have, I am not equipped physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually to stop doing that. I don't understand that I have a disease and it's called alcoholism. I'm just rolling on and, you know, doing my thing. And this is the way that life is. Faced with this problem, if the doctor is honest with himself, he must sometimes feel his own inadequacy. Although he gives all of it to him, it often is not enough. One feels that something more than human power is needed to produce the, the essential psychic change. And that's key for me. I mean, this doctor's talking about um, the medical and now he's, um, Dr. Silkworth is talking about the psychic change. And that needs to come from a power greater than myself or anyone else. So for me, um, my last drink 
um, was was April 26th of 1985. And I could not get drunk anymore. I tried and I just could not get the high. And I remember going outside and I had a knife and I tried to plunge it into myself and it didn't go. And I looked up and the sky, there was clouds and stuff, but there was this light coming through, the sunlight coming through. And it was in that moment that I said, God, help me. Help me. I don't know what to do. And the very next day, I went to my therapist and she told me about Alcoholics Anonymous. I had no idea. I thought it was for men. I thought that they all lived in Boston. They had brown trench coats and, and brown paper bags with, with alcohol in it. And I, that wasn't me. And she said, take this meeting list and go to a meeting. And I, and I cried all the way from the appointment till I went to my first meeting in Keene, New Hampshire. And I remember walking through the door and I see all these people that are laughing and joking and drinking coffee. And at that point, back in the 80s, they would sell raffle tickets for literature if you were going to, you know, for whoever was going to, at the end of the, at the end of the meeting, whoever had the winning number would get a big book or whatever. And there were these steps on the wall and these traditions on the wall. And then they said the word God. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. And um, a woman looked at me and she said, are you new? And I said, yeah, I guess so. And she said, would you just try sitting in the meeting and listening? And I said, okay. So in the meeting, I heard this fella tell his story. And it was exactly like myself. He was a, he was a sales salesperson, which I did, and um, drinking in. It, it was it was it was uncanny. It was just uncanny. While I was sitting there, I noticed a couple of things. One was this basket went around the room, and it reminded me of church, uh, Catholic church. You know, they pass the basket around for donations. And Alcoholics Anonymous, it's a contribution. So I saw this basket going around and that kind of intrigued me. I felt like, oh, maybe there's a little bit of, you know, Catholic stuff here or whatever. I don't know. I was, I was discombobulated. I was very confused. But then I saw people doing things like sweeping the floor and making coffee and hanging out together and exchanging literature. It was like, wow, this is, this, is, this is interesting. In that moment, um, I, I had gone over, back then we used pagers. It's not like the internet now. We used pagers and pieces of paper and we had a quarter for the, you know, the public telephone. It was very, very different back then. So it was a little more difficult to get a hold of people. But when you did, um, the fellowship and the camaraderie of being with other alcoholics was 
a delight. It was just, it was just really, really wonderful. And I really appreciated that a lot. It says the bottom of XX1X. I do not hold with those who believe that alcohol and alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I have had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal wished to be settled on a certain date, favorably to them. They took a drink on the day or so prior to the date, and then the phenomena of craving at once became paramount to all interests so that the important appointment that was, not, that was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome the craving beyond their mental control. And I wanna say that again, it's really important. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. And I understand that today. I understand that because in working the steps, admitting that I am an alcoholic, that I do have the disease of alcoholism, and that there is a solution. It talks about on XXI, he had lost everything worthwhile in life and was only living, one might say, to drink. He frequently admitted and believed that for him, there was no hope. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. And then the doctor sees, you know, this trembling, despairing, nervous wreck of a man, you know, is now brimming with self-reliance self and, and contentment. Wow. Wow. Um, and, and for me to, to, to understand that, um, you know, for a long time, uh, I really felt like um, being an alcoholic was, was this moral thing. And there was shame with it. And uh, there was something wrong with me. And then it became I was more different than everybody else. And once I, I understood, I had gone, um, I think it was, I was two years sober and my family had contacted me and told me that my, my grandfather died. And uh, I was, I, you know, like anyone getting news like that, I said, well, when's the funeral and the services? And she paused and she said, oh, he's, he's, been, he's been buried. I, I said, why wasn't I told that he was, oh, we couldn't find you. That was always the thing in my family, can't, can't find me. And this is in sobriety, I'm two years sober. The long and the short of it was that I went into treatment. Now, back in the, back in the 80s in the States, you could go into treatment um, to prevent picking up a drink. There's, there was also a six-week program for people who, who relapsed. So the 80s were, were very, very different than they, than they are today. While I was in um, treatment, I learned an awful lot about 
about alcohol because I needed to understand. And I'm talking about this because, um, you know, the craving of phenomena is, um, it, it can be so baffling to so many people. And for me, to, for me, I need to understand and I really want to convey that this is a disease. It's a, it's a disease. And if, if someone had, you know, diabetes or, um, you know, cancer or so on and so forth, people would, would engage in that, with that person in a different way. When there's alcoholism or I'll add drug addiction, it's a whole other, it's a whole other thing. People, people I have felt and I have experienced um, did not know how to deal with this. You know, they, they didn't know how to deal with it. And, and as I got more involved in Alcoholics Anonymous and understanding that, um, okay, I have a disease. There is a solution. There's a plan of action. It's outlined in this book. They're called the steps. And the traditions keep us together. And the concepts help us with participating in those groups and being a part of a larger, larger um, course of, of fellowship. And, and so I needed to be involved um, at a lot of levels. I Getting into service for me has been, has always been key. You know, learning, you know, on Zoom meetings now, let's try to bring it back to the moment. Um, I, I, go to, I go to my, my meeting early. I have only uh, um, an iPad. I don't know how to do a lot of technical stuff, but I can, I can greet and I can be available and I can lead a meeting or I can do those things. So just because we're on Zoom and I see the wonderful group there um, in person that it's so lovely, I'm very jealous. I'm very jealous. I haven't been to a in-person meeting since, since COVID. So it's nice to see you folks in there. Um, but setting up chairs, I loved doing that. I loved greeting people, you know, as they came through the door, shaking their hand and, and giving them a hug and showing them where the coffee was, showing them where the chairs are, showing them where the literature is, asking them how they are. You know, that's what we do here. That's what we do. And I want, I want that to be for a long, long time. I will... Um, I want to um, now go through the steps. I think, how many more minutes do I have, Vic or Joesta? Let me, give me, give me a heads up. You can keep going, uh, Karen, um, uh, but- you've got... Don't say that to me. <laughs> I'll just keep going. <laughs> About 20, 25 minutes. Okay, thank, thank you. Um, I want to, um, I want to go through um, the steps. That day that I went into that meeting, um, there was another thing that happened for me. When I opened that door, it was like the analogy of the Wizard of Oz. You know, I had, I had been in this cycle and this cyclone of crazy, crazy, my whole house being my body, mind, and and everything 
landed. You know, it landed on the yellow brick road of the AA road. And when I opened that door and saw all those people so colorful and joyful and, and you know, embracing each other, and it was, it was like, wow, this is really cool. This is really awesome. And at that time, because I um, was having difficulty with the God of my understanding, I choose to have Glenda as my higher power. This is early in sobriety. And what I learned was, you know, traveling down this road, just same as, you know, working the steps and Alcoholics Anonymous, that I, I had a brain, you know? I mean, I think we all have, we all have brains. And um, to put that brain to use, I, I was able to accomplish a lot of things. I was able to go back to school. I was able to get a master's degree. And I was also able to put pen to paper to work the fourth step. And that to me has been really, really awesome. Um, the second step, understanding that, you know, I came to, came to believe that a power greater than myself could could re remove me from the sanity was miraculous. There were times I was like, I can't really believe this, but I'll believe it. Okay, whatever. And each day making a decision, wow, that's big girl stuff. Being able to make decisions, you know? The only decisions I made when I was drinking was, oh boy, it's Monday, I gotta get into work, I gotta do this, have a little nap and go this, you know? Um, and in sobriety today, I deal with um, the last last seven years. I've been dealing with a um, a physical neurological um, issue, which resulted from Lyme disease. And um, Lyme disease is is uh, I was up in Massachusetts in 2015, and I was bit by a tick. And it's a small little bug. And it got into my immune system. And unfortunately, I was not treated with an antibiotic for about nine months. The reason why I tell you that is because since 2015, my recovery and the way that I am doing my steps has changed so much because now um, my purpose in life is to not just, you know, poor me, poor me, poor me. You know, I have to use a walker and I can't do this and I can't do that. I'm grateful. I asked God, what was it that you wanted me to learn from this? And the word patience came up, you know, and in the, in the Wizard of Oz, you know, um, the, the wicked witch, you know, surrender Dorothy. It's like the same thing, surrendering, you know, step two and three. Surrender to whatever it is that's in front of you. Because we all have, we all have stuff. We, we all do, you know, we come here and we want to be helpful to each other and we want to identify with each other. And I think we all want love. We all want to be loved. At least I do, that's for sure. So as I'm traveling down this, this yellow brick road, I find, you know, I find that I have a heart, you know, and my heart, um, the biggest thing around my heart that has gotten broken is um, 
experiencing death. Um, the deaths of my, um, my niece who was killed in a DWI, the, of my nephew who died in, in um, December, my mom, my grandmother, a friend of mine I was trying to help um, a couple of weeks ago committed suicide. These, these feelings that come up around death are like the steps. I'm powerless. If I engage in the depression and the ugliness of it all, my life is unmanageable. That again, coming to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity and making that decision to ask God for help. So every little thing that I experience, the tragedies, the good stuff or whatever, I can utilize these steps. That's, that's wicked awesome. It's like amazing. So in doing step, step four or five, I find that I have courage, you know, the cowardly lion. I have, I have some courage to do this stuff. I have some courage to say, I have this resentment at my mother. I have this resentment at the nun. I have this resentment at my partner. What, are the, what is it that you're having a problem with, Sharon? You know, I'm not getting my way. I'm not getting, 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 getting. Aren't we the getters? Getting, 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 getting. And understanding that this is about me. It's not about the other person. And it's like when we point the finger, dishonesty, selfishness, and fear are pointing back at me. And I need to remember that. That this whole deal is about me and taking care of myself. Once I understood that I had a disease, that the, the ways that I was drinking, the, that phenomenon of craving that was happening all the time, I have an answer. It's called alcoholism. And there's a solution, like I said before. When I was doing the fears, my biggest fear, of course, was death. You know, what is it about this death? What does all this mean? And then the, the sex relations, it's not so much about the position or whatever you with a partner, but it's also about other relations, like relations on this meeting today, to be mindful of other people where they're at, to be curious, to be um, courtesy, courtesy and respect of other people. That's part of my relations um, inventory. And when I when I sat with my my sponsor and did the fifth step, we had an extra chair for God. At that point, it was God. Glenda was, Glenda's off the team now. It's Now it's back to God, and that's okay. And as I was sitting there doing the, doing the fifth step with her and going through my, my inventory, it was just a revelation to realize how much I was still gossiping, the judgment I had of other people, that I was still lying and cheating. And do I wanna carry those? Do I wanna carry those in six and seven? No, I don't, I wanna give them to God. And that prayer 
my creator. I am now ready that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Think about that. Why are we here? Why are we here? I'm here because I want to be of service and I want to be available to someone else because someone was available to me. Alcoholics Anonymous has been around for over 80. Is it 88 years yet, folks? Are coming in June. The people change, generations change. The message is the same. We have the steps, we have the traditions, we have the concepts. We understand that we have a disease that no human power can, can help, can, can, can recover from, that we need a higher power. What a chore. Oh my gosh, what a chore, you know? And for a lot of us like myself who went back and forth with this, you know, God was on my resentment list. I was so angry with God. I blamed God for my, my brother's death. And every once in a while, when I experience a death in my life, there's this little bit of like God's fault. No, Sharon. No, it's not God's fault. Humans do things to humans. It's a human experience. It's where I draw from God to help me spiritually to get through that loss and that tragedy. And that's really important. If you're struggling with um, a higher power, work the steps, work the steps to figure out how, what is it that your, what is it that your God or your higher power looks like? Today, I know that I am a child of God, that my God loves me, regardless of my sexuality, regardless of my disabilities, regardless of my silliness, regardless of anything like that. God loves me, and I embrace that every day. That's really powerful. This is, a, this is, a, this is such a gift to have recovery. Um, steps eight and nine, where, where do I get the list? Where do I get the list? I get it from step four. You know, my step four had my mother on there and my grandmother on there, and my partner on there. And um, it was very difficult. And I have to understand with my sponsor that if I'm going to make amends to these people, I have to do it without harming them or anyone else. It's not just a one and done. I don't know about you, but... All my life, my amends were, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It doesn't cut the mustard anymore. My attitude and my, chain, my, my actions, where my feet are, tell the story of who Sharon is. I can't fake this stuff anymore. This is real big grown-up stuff, you know? So when doing the amends, uh, my sponsor said, you know, we went over the amends that we were going to do, that I was going to do, pardon me, that I was going to do with God. I set an appointment to go to my grandmother's house 
And when I got there, I went into the bathroom. I got down on my knees. I asked God to help me with my words. And I went in and I said, Grandma, I am so sorry that I was not there for Grandpa when he died. I was, I was selfish and disrespectful, and I am sorry. Now, the kicker is, depending on who your sponsor is, to ask my grandmother if there was anything else. And when you're sitting there across from this beautiful 93-year-old woman, and she says, yes, you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I guess I have more work to do. But in that moment, I was able to ask God to help me with whatever, to listen to her. And she said, Sharon, you pulled away from the family. And that made me very sad. I did not see you for eight years. You pulled away. And I had no idea. I had no idea that I harmed her in that way. Because, see, it was all about me. I thought I was protecting me by not being with them. Another amends was to an employee, employer, um, stealing alcohol. You know, some of us like to be bartenders in our, in our drinking. <laughs> it, it kind of helps a little bit. Um, but I, um, I stole alcohol, so I owed an amends. And I met this woman uh, in a restaurant, went into the bathroom, got down on my knees, went over to her, said, I, I don't know if you remember me, I used to bartend. She said, yeah, I remember you. And I said, well, I wanna make um, financial amends for the alcohol that I stole. Um, I'm in sobriety now and I wanna right my wrong. And she put her hand across the table and she held my hand and she said, being sober is the amends. Being sober is the amends. And it was just like these things that happen when you understand that you have a disease, that there is a solution, there's a plan of recovery, that these steps are the way. It's just phenomenal. It's just phenomenal. Um, step 10, you know, it's not, you know, step four, we do it thoroughly, but in step 10, we keep an eye on the resentments, the fear, the, self, the selfishness, and the self-delusion. And I'm probably not saying that correctly or whatever, but that's just the way it is right now. Um, so on a daily basis, like, like after this meeting, I will, I will take a moment with God and I will review what I had shared and see if there was any time that I felt um, selfish, afraid, or self-seeking and dishonest. And if, and if there was, then I call my sponsor and we, and we work that out. So the daily, the daily inventory is really important. You know, it's like brushing your teeth. You, you know, you brush your teeth, walk around, you did that. It's like another tool in your pocket. I don't look at it as, as this, um, I don't know, detriment or whatever. Step 11 in the big book, says on awakening, you know, we, 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 we divorce our mind from the crazy th thinking that we make a plan for the day. Whatever that plan is, I want God to be part of that plan. 
and then I go about my day. And meditation for me a lot of times is like I did at the beginning of the meeting. Pause. Take some breaths. Let it settle in. For a long time, I thought I had to go, you know, to a Buddha and, and get down on my knees and, you know, do the cross my legs and do all this stuff. I did that stuff for a while because it worked. Now in my sobriety, these things become automatic to me to what I need to do. You know, the prayer is so important. Prayer is, prayer is my thing, my thing. And I, um, I always read this, so I will. I think I still have a, maybe a couple more minutes. If I don't, just kick me off. And I, 12 and 12, on page 99, it's the 11-step prayer. Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love that where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness that where there is discord, I may bring harmony that where there is error, I may bring truth that where there is doubt, I may bring faith that where there is despair, I may bring hope that where there are shadows, I may bring light that where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Take time each day to read a prayer out of the big book, out of the 12 and 12, whatever your religious bet. Prayer is so comforting and so healing. And I'll just close with the, um, with the 12th step, okay? It says, having had a spiritual awakening, I feel like I have had a spiritual awakening. It's three parts. We tried to carry this message to another alcoholic. Sometimes the alcoholic is incapable of getting it. Sometimes they, they are capable. And practice these principles in all my affairs. Honesty, faith, courage, integrity, service. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous has saved my life. And my journey continues down the yellow brick road. You know, Dorothy was trying to find her physical home. I have found my home. It's my mind, my body, my physical, my spiritual. This is my home, my vehicle. There's no place like home.
There's no place like home and there's no place like Alcoholics Anonymous. There's no place like Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you for letting me share. God bless you. Thank you.